Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on a Monday night. Uh, we've we've had two Hawks games since the All-Star break. And and Glenn, on a scale from 1 to 10, how sad are you that Wenyan Gabriel is signing with the Lakers on a two-way contract? At least a seven. <laughs> okay. That's the I mean, sort of player you think the Hawks need in terms of position and, and his playing strengths. I think they, I think it could have, he could have given them some depth. He can shoot it, I think, enough to kind of do some of the things that they do want, they need offensively there. But he's uh, also kind of moves well enough and has enough size to do some of the things defensively. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't want people to hear this and think like, oh, Glenn thinks William Gabriel should be a no doubt rotation player. No, the things the Hawks need at that position that uh, Jalen Johnson is not prepared to give them right now. And they really don't have it. And they lose. You and I talked about the fact that when they move Hunter to four, they move so much on ball defense that they need. And so I, th- I thought he was the guy who could give them some depth, give them 10 minutes, you know, a night or whatever while JC's out. Um, it would be a higher number, except the fact for the fact that I'm happy for Winion that he gets to play for an LA team, you know, and the team that needs yep, all the yeah, help. Yeah, but he has to play for an L.A. team. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But he also plays, like, I don't know if the word ironically works or coincidentally or by happenstance. Or, I'm not sure what word applies to the Lakers because the Lakers are such a weird thing. It's hard to pick the right word with them. Okay. But they need, they need all the help they can get. And so I hope that that means that he'll actually get to play some, which would be great for him. All right, so we, we, we've had the two games since the break. Uh, I'm sure that the Toronto game is probably fresher on your mind. Uh, you know, in, in terms of where the Hawks are, are headed, uh, what's trending? I think both games were good defensive performances overall. Um, I, I felt like that was kind of lost in the Chicago game because of how ugly the end of the game was for them and how – they lost a game they had you know, seemingly well in hand down really late you know, in the course of that game. Um, and Chicago, even the points that the Bulls scored in the last few minutes were DeMar DeRozan doing what he's basically done all year and making kind of ridiculous shots, that, you know, pretty well defended, pretty well contested shots. He still makes them, you know, for how somehow however he does that. But I thought overall the defensive execution was good uh, in Chicago. What what failed them there was uh, atrocious offensive whatever <laughs> uh, at the end of that game. But I thought that carried over to Toronto. Um, you know, the things that I watched in the Toronto game was that, you know, early in the game it seemed like Siakam was kind of getting to the rim at will. 
and they kind of doubled their commitment to kind of uh, stealing him off of bodies as much as they could. Um, and, and that worked, you know, great. Uh, Van Vliet and, you know, Gary Trent were kind of looking for opportunities to get shots up. And, you know, Fre- Fred is, Fred really knows what he's doing. Um, and, but they, they challenged those two guys, uh, you know, quite a bit there. And then overall, they're kind of rebounding, which has really been kind of hit and miss all year long, um, was, was there too. So, you know, we've all, I think, Probably the, all of us that have been watching this team since the beginning of the season have seen, I don't know, three, four, five, six times where it's like, okay, I think the defensive commitment is starting to stick and then it doesn't. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to kind of watch the rest of the season and see what happens here. But coming out of the break, I think in terms of the most important area of their play that's going to dictate kind of where they land at the end of the season, two for two so far, good, good defensive effort, good defensive execution overall. Um, and so hopefully that carries through, carries forward. Yeah, I've, I've, you've prompted me now that I want to just kind of go and look at stats for 10 minutes, but <laughs> you mentioned the rebounding being hit or miss. And to me, it feels like it's, it's been a pretty good hit, 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 hit without a whole lot of misses recently. Yep. And I don't know if that's play style or just, I think a lot of it's just Clint Capella is just healthier and bouncier than he was earlier in the season like it's noticeable on defense but I think it's noticeable on on rebounding as well he just looks a lot better and you know in that Toronto game you know there were some you know Nate McMillan said you know we're a little bit anxious about the rebounding that's something we're concerned about because Toronto likes to go to the offensive glass with with multiple bodies and it just felt like Clint quashed a lot of that I mean there were there were some team rebounds but you know, when, when a team doesn't go five out, when there's not a whole lot of stretch capability, like when they were playing Ken Birch in the recent game, you know, when he gets to kind of linger around the rim uh, for defensive rebounds, he, he's he's getting them. Um, so I, I'm curious. Now I'm going to have to do my homework and find out uh, if the rebounding has, has been better of late. But, I, yeah. you know, overall, I just like Clint's performance defensively. I mean, he was... He was working well with Trey and a lot of two-man actions, just kind of hedging and buying Trey time to get back. Um, you know, in the third quarter, Toronto got some sort of decent looks, but they really couldn't make any of them, and all of them were at least partially contested by Clint. You know, when they started Birch in the third, you know, he was just there in the paint for everything and and, and got at least a mild contest, if not something more than that. And that that seemed like the pivotal stretch in the game where the game went from you know, the Hawks have a, a mild edge to, whoa, the Hawks have a, a massive edge between that and then just some some three-point shooting luck. All of a sudden, that game went from like eight to 27 in a heartbeat. Yeah, and then when Nurse uh, kind of um, went mostly with, with that young to go try to go five out, and, th- and you know, we could have a conversation about can you really do that with that young, you know, because he's, he's really going to put his head down and try to get to the rim as we saw him do in the game more so they kind of function on the perimeter and kind of facilitate or move the ball out, you know, out, out top. Um, like they do when they play Siakam, OG, um, and Barnes together where they're truly five out with that lineup. You know, yeah. OG good. was a huge loss. Like that huge. was just a noticeable, massive difference between the first games against Toronto and this one. 
Yeah, and that showed up in a couple areas. One was they couldn't run that real five-out offense to kind of really try to get Clint and, and to a lesser degree and Yeko away from the rim. But Scotty got really, really frustrated defending Trey, and they didn't have an opportunity to really kind of turn to someone else uh, to kind of kind of see where they could go. In, in, in the case of OG, a more experienced, you know, you know, guy who's handled primary defensive assignments for, you know, basically his whole time in the league. Uh, so that, that was a huge loss. And, and I don't know if Hawks fans know, but Van Vliet is, you know, playing through a pretty tough knee injury right now. And he had absolutely nothing on defense. And he's not the biggest defender, you know, in the world, but he's a really strong defender and he really knows what he's doing, but he had absolutely nothing on defense. So um, and I wasn't, I guess, too surprised. I, I I wrote the follow for Peace Your Hoops. So when I went back and kind of rewatched it as I do when I'm writing the follow, I could really tell like, oh man, Fred is just not moving on defense like at all, you know? And so in that, from that perspective, it wasn't shocking that Trey put up, I think 41 in that game uh, and that they generated, you know, a lot of, a lot kind of going towards the rim and stuff. Cause they, it was sort of like watching a lot of the Hawks games this year where Toronto really had nothing at the point of attack for where the ball was really kind of being pressed into, to the defense, but um, kind of going back to the rebounding, you know, I got way out track there, but when they went to that and tried to go kind of five out, the Hawks did start pulling their centers up higher to the level of the screen. And that's when I think there's help needed from Bogey and Hunter and Herter rebounding. And even though, you know, uh, Anyeka and Clint, you know, got their normal uh, number of rebounds, I thought the help that was showing up there, just even come down, sometimes just come down and take a body, that Clint would otherwise have to deal with, you know, and just, and just putting a body on that guy that might create a second guy for Clint to have to contend with once he, you know, maybe possess the ball brought down. So the, it was more of that kind of stuff where I thought, you know, okay, yeah, that we really need that stuff. Um, they're not going to add a point of defect point of attack defender. So I would not be surprised the rest of the way if we see the bigs getting more up to the level of the screen and they're going to have to have those wings coming down and helping rebound basketball either get rebounds that are maybe a little bit long or just putting bodies on guys so that Clinton and Yega aren't dealing with two or three guys every time they try to get a defensive rebound so it's going to have to keep up for them to you know keep winning games in in my mind that's but that's been good I think two for two in, in those areas where I feel like they really need to be invested Hopefully, hopefully that continues here going forward. Um, they, they have a few tough games, and then the schedule statistically at least should get a little easier. Um, but they have no margin for error on what they're chasing, so they've got to work as hard on defense as poss- as they possibly can, and that includes helping rebound. In there somewhere, you were talking about you know bogey. You know if the centers go up to the level of the screen to to defend. You're going to have to count on guys like Hunter and Bogey to do more in terms of helping at the rim. There was a moment between Nate and Bogey in that game in the second quarter where things got a little bit heated. Yeah, uh, Bogey checked out of the game. Nate like walked all the way down to the far end of the bench and said something to him. And then you know, as uh, after Nate left, Nate didn't look particularly agitated. He just wanted to to get his comment in, I think, but. You know, after he turned around and went back, Bogey kind of barked something to himself and then slammed a towel and looked like he was getting pretty red-faced. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned that you thought it was a transition defense kind of thing. 
And I kind of agreed with that. I don't think Bogey made a mistake on that. I thought it was like a half court thing, like maybe a couple of minutes earlier, like he was just kind of going way back in the stint. I, I thought he missed sort of a help assignment at the rim. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I didn't be. care enough. It's just funny that you mentioned that. It just triggered that in my memory. Yeah, it would, it would be something if it went way back, uh, kind of multiple minutes back. But it was only, I think the, that transition possession was like, three total possessions back i think i think it was, right. it was and i can't remember who had the the ball I, um but i think it was gary no it's gary trent now i remember gary trent jr and gallo kind of drew him on the perimeter which is an awful way to get matched up so, so sometimes you just have to match up <laughs> there really aren't a whole lot of good matchups for gallo trying to no. get back you know kind of mid-transition but but bogey was in the space to get to the rim and kind of account for the paint and the rim and and you know, it's one of those things that maybe from Nate's angle he didn't quite see the way that that kind of organically right. kind of came to be. And I thought Bogey did. Bogey was like, "I'm the first guy back. I got the rim." Yep. You know, maybe Nate felt like there was time and opportunity to shuffle Gallo back and for Bogey to take. Sure. Right. That that's just my educated I guess. On, on no, what, I got gotcha. you. So yeah, but it's. I mean, I, I've enjoyed watching Bogey since he's come back from the injury. I, I I've said I think before when it comes to a guy who's not your star kind of leading by example and doing a lot of the little things, I think he's the one that jumps out to me consistently every game right now that is working really hard on defense, uh, helping, showing up, communicating. And even in, the, in this Toronto game, he, he took Siakam because he, he kind of defended at the floor for a while. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and just put his body in front of Siakam as best as he could. And Siakam ended up not really kind of getting it going after a, you know, a little bit in the first quarter so you know when it comes to like me watching like a coach and appreciating kind of effort and you know contributing in team areas and things like that you know so maybe bogey's uh kind of reaction was more like oh my god here i am like giving so much you know in areas where i feel like you know we all need to be giving and my coach is like you know getting in my ear coming off the floor for something that you know doesn't make sense to me so it happens <laughs> yeah um you, you mentioned leading by example. I, I thought sort of the, to me, the turning point in that game was kind of, I feel like it was Trey's defense. You know, Toronto was making a point in that first quarter of, of sort of going at Trey. Like, the, he, you know, he comes out the first couple of possessions or whatever, and he's on Fred Van Vliet. And, you know, Fred moves down the left baseline across the, or down the left sideline across the baseline up the right sideline and they're just circling him around all these screens. And it's like, Oh, it's going to be that kind of night. And, you know, they made a pointed effort to just kind of work Trey trying to make him get over as many screens as possible. And I thought in the first quarter, it was kind of, kind of dismal. Like he was just dying on a lot of screens and, you know, I, there were some changes, and what the Hawks did, you know, they mixed Herder in there on Fred Van Vliet, some especially in the second half. But I thought he just got a whole lot better defensively after that first quarter. Yeah, and and I thought in this game where the, where he kind of changed his approach was you don't have to work quite as hard on screens if you see them in time, if you're proactive and kind of really keeping your head up and really paying attention to what's going on around you instead of kind of standing you know, kind of flat-footed to a degree and just kind of waiting on something to happen and reacting to it that way. And so I just thought he got more invested in kind of paying attention to what Toronto was setting up to do, what they were trying to get into. 
and kind of giving himself a little bit more space, giving himself a little bit more time and not being um, so kind of slow to react to what they were doing. And, so, and you know, when, when it comes to a guy like Trey, who gives you so much on offense and you need, a, you know, a certain amount on, on defense, just from, from a team success standpoint, sometimes that's that investment of, of just really paying attention and being you know, prepared um, to go a long way to kind of giving him just that much more room and not just getting killed on screens because he's not making an effort to see them. But obviously there's a component of communic- your teammates communicating to you, but there's still, even if screens are being communicated, you know, being on the balls of your feet, being half a step earlier than you might otherwise be makes a big difference. And I thought that's where his adjustments were. Yeah. And in that, in that game, you know, there were a lot of times where, Toronto would would use their one as a screener. And so Trey's sort of in the center. <laughs> he's, he's, he's guarding like, you know, all of a sudden he's like Patrick Ewing, you know, I've got two guys coming at me. And I thought he did a very good job communicating with Clint, um, you know, communicating with DeAndre Hunter. Uh, the, the communication with Clint was more in the second half, but there were, there were a lot of situations with Hunter in the first half where Hunter would, would be the power forward, you know, guarding Siakam. And he just, you know, he had Trey had to go on Siakam for a second, give that a hedge, make sure he had, you know, Hunter ready to come over. And then when he did recover and, and I, you know, I thought he was doing a, a good job communicating to, to, to make sure, because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, any kind of massive sort of defensive stopper thing, but it was just, you know, for this split second moment, we're going to have to commit two people here until you get here and I recover. But, you know, he was talking to make sure that it was as minimal amount of time as possible. Yeah. They, they, they were really going, trying to go at trade with that four one pick and roll. And I don't know if you had flashbacks, but I did to um, when Toronto made their finals run and against the Warriors, they ran nonstop Kawhi, Lowry four one pick and rolls trying to get that stuff over and over and this this looked exactly the same except it was Siakam and Van Vliet that right. was running it and it just so, but the- but but there was one in later in the game it was Thad Young and Malachi Flynn trying to do it yeah yeah which is you know but and and I I think listeners know like I really appreciate you know Van Vliet and and Siakam has made himself into a, a really impressive, you know, basketball player. I feel like he, I feel like he's a little overrated in some circles, but I don't want to take away from the way he can help a team. But Siakam Van Vliet, as much as I like both those guys, is not Kawhi Lowry. <laughs> is you know, first of all, Lowry setting the screen, and then the, all his little nuanced ways he not only set the screen, but they kind of walk down the guy he's trying to separate from Kawhi and just get you know and turn it into like basically three or four seconds of traffic. He's you know, screaming like the, he's marching Gortat, like exactly. doing the walkthrough. And then, and then, if you get Kawhi onto your smaller guy, I mean, I mean, Kawhi has just, has a bigger bag than Siakam does. It's the, you know, it's not sensational to say that, but it just gave me so many flashbacks to that finals, which was that's probably the finals in recent memory I enjoyed the most, just because of how interesting all of the tactics were and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I mean, we got to see Marcus. Everybody got hurt, though. It was so depressing. It, it was, but it was <laughs> it was still fascinating to see how okay. they went at each other, attack each other. But but anyway, um, I'm getting sidetracked. But, it did, I mean, what they were doing was exactly what they did to the Warriors. And yeah. we always kind of – people talk about, is there a parallel between, you know, Steph and Trey? 
in that game, I had direct flashbacks to what Nick Nurse was doing with his one and four, uh, trying to get at, at Steph. And it was exactly the same thing they were trying to do to Trey in that game. And just like you said, you know, Trey found ways to use the help of his teammates and work just enough to buy some time to recover before he, you know, to stop the ball, help stop the ball, and then recover back to Van Vliet. Um, and it, it, it gave Siakam a lot more to deal with before he could you know, try, to start, try to start working his way towards the middle of the paint. Uh, I'm not sure what the segue here is, but I, I let, let's call it big ball handlers because you you know you mentioned Kawhi and Pascal and uh, you know Thad Young. Where is DeAndre Hunter offensively? I, I kind of feel like we're where we were with Kevin Herter a year ago, two years ago, where it's okay. You know, it, it's not an open shot. He's got to make a play on the move with the ball in his hands. He's coming down the lane or, or what, whatnot. Um, you know, oftentimes he's trying to punish when teams put a big on Trey. You know, he's trying to do something against a smaller defender. But it just seems like offensively right now, there's just something missing there, like some polish on his floater game, some choice of some change in the choice of shots that he's choosing. Maybe he needs to. Uh, you know, change the distribution so that he's getting to the rim a little bit more instead of stopping in the mid range. I, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't seem a hundred percent right with what with what he's doing at the moment. I'm wondering what you think about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like what I'm seeing is it's, it's sort of a frustrating watch a lot right now with him. I think, um, and but we've talked before how I feel like the Hawks somewhere along the way stopped running a lot of the stuff that helped their wings kind of get into stuff that sets them up for success. Yeah, there, um, I put on Twitter, I think a few examples where um, there was a play where uh, I was trying to talk through it that people could visualize it. Their stack series is where they basically bring a wing like Hunter in this case out to the let's say left three point break and then get it to pick a roll of Clint from that three point break. Right. But instead of, Hunter turning towards Clint, he got into a handoff with Herder, and Herder got into the pick and roll with Clint and worked through the baseline down in the middle and had that kick out to Hunter on the left three-point break, right? And you may remember, Kevin, that like Hunter and Bogey ran that like a million times in the playoffs last year where they had that synchronization with Hunter attacking from the left down past the screen into the middle and having that kick out to the left. It's like I, I, I saw that Hunter knocked down that three. And I was like, oh, I want to see more of that. I feel like that would really help DeAndre. And there's obviously Hunter and Herder can run it with Bogey or Hunter. And it's like just right now, Bogey doesn't seem to need a lot of help. Whatever they're running, he's feeling it enough that he's kind of making that work. I, you know, I, do you need to be prepared to maximize him down going forward with some of this too? But I think Hunter really needs some specific action to kind of help him get into that mix. Um uh, but at the same time, you know, you know, he's not a rookie anymore. And when there's a different plan to attack the defense where Trey's really trying to draw a big man out or whatever, he's going to have to be committed to cutting. He's going to have to be when he's spending time at the four or when he's at the three and they're running one, three pick and rolls, because there's a weak defender on Hunter that the way they're trying to team trying to hide a guy at Hunter, so to speak, he's going to have to, in my mind, two things. One, run more stuff for him, like I described. Number two, clean up his action around knowing when to cut, pay attention when to cut, and then when he's the screener, be cleaner in that area and give himself an opportunity when he separates 
or or dives or whatever that he's got more of an opportunity to kind of attack in space and with some leverage and things like that. So those are the two things I see. It's um, there's so, there's so much that I anticipate with Hunter when he's right and kind of when he's optimized and and the team needs it so badly in my opinion that I just every game I'm like just almost trying to will it for him <laughs> to kind of see it happen and it's it's hard because it makes you frustrated with he'll go long stretches with some pretty um yeah I don't know if I'd use the word ugly but sort of ugly kind of play or or, or clunky play or where he just looks like he's not sure what he should do or wants to do with the ball so if I mean so that's my prescription run more stuff that he's been historically successful with that gets him the opportunity to attack with a little bit of kind of pre-motion and then encourage him to work harder as a screener, work harder as a cutter and things like that. And I think, I think that's kind of where it's at for him. Yeah. There was one play in the Toronto game. I don't even know if I saw it in the rewatch, but it was it was fairly early on, and they started him in the left corner, and they were going to lift him around two screens. And somebody turned ahead or something, and he he saw an opening, and instead of even coming around that second one, once he got around the first one, he read something, and he just made a cut between the two people he was going to lift around. And, and it, it got him the ball in a really good spot. I can't remember if he made the shot or not, but I was I was pretty excited that that, you know, that he was in that action in the first place and that it, he'd seen that read to make that cut. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, I think that's the play he got, ended up getting a foul going, to, uh, got, getting fouled going to the free throw okay. line, but he was aggressive, but you know, that, I mean, they used to be, so this is called stronger away action, depending on the team where you park yeah. a wing in the corner and bring them up towards the top of the key across through two screens. And, and, and that's, that's traditionally what it is. Teams are now top locking that. And not letting that wing get to the second screen. And when that's the case, the read is for the wing to go in between the two screeners, work towards the basket, drag defensive attention down towards the screen. And then the first screener, like Gallo, typically, will, who is a good shooter, will come. Yeah, I was going to say, a good option in that spot. Exactly. So you of, of the two bigs, you want the shooter to be the first screener so that he, if the wing lifting has to cut towards the rim, you can bring that guy to the next screen. Which puts a, if you have DeAndre, someone like DeAndre Hunnicutt coming to the basket and Gallo functioning basically like off of a pin down, that gives you a lot of options and a lot, lot to do. So he has been more decisive and kind of reading that play. If I if I can't lift through both screens, if they're top-lopping me, I'm gonna cut it short, go in between, and then open up that space for Gallo. More, I'm like, please, more stuff like that for DeAndre, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, and I mean, I get it. You, I mean, you really have to prioritize Trey, and your everything's sure. kind of built around Trey and stuff like that. So I, it's not that I think they should scrap all the yeah. stuff they're doing for Trey, but but when I see when it looks like I'm watching a game and it looks like his offensive bird is so much, it's like that's the stuff I want to I want to kind of see them kind of get into. So you know, hopefully more stuff like that, and and just from my my view, and hoping that DeAndre can really kind of bring them um, his best game the rest of the way. Is there anything else you want to mention? Um, what are, any expectations you have for this uh, national? Tomorrow's a national TV, this TNT game, right? Is it? I think so. I get the night off then. I won't be working for Bally. I, I never, <laughs> for some reason, I just never, it's never on my radar. Oh, wait, this one's a national TV game. It's like, 
you know, I, I'm kind of working anyways. Um, right. So yeah. it's like, but, but that, you know, that second gig, it's like, oh, wait, yeah, okay. Yeah, All right, but I so mean, yeah, it's, maybe it's, it is. But Boston's good. They're going to be angry after, after a loss. They get to play at home. Their defense, you know, they've, they've been the best defense in the NBA, really, for the last couple of months. So yeah. it's it's yeah. it's a little yeah. dicey. I know people saw that Pacer score, but if, and if no one dug into it, the Pacers were 17 for 33 from the three-point line. <laughs> and so it was just an outlier's shot-making game by the Pacers. The, the Boston played good defense in that game. They played their normal good defense. The Pacers just happened to make a lot of three. And I'm not trying to take credit away. I mean, right. Halliburton, Halliburton was really good in the game, and it was a fun game to watch. If you're not a Celtics fan, obviously. Um, but, it, I mean, it's a, it's a really – I mean, they're all important, but I think that – I don't have it right from me. I think it's Boston and then Chicago again. I mean, two just massively important games and wins would be so valuable um, uh, to, to win games where they may, I don't know if they'll be fav- favored in either game at this point. You know, I have to kind of see how that works. I, mean, out, I think but. the Cleveland game is more winnable than the Boston one, to be honest. Yeah, I'm just thinking I think they're a little few. more vulnerable defensively that if, if the Hawks are are not as dead as they were in that first matchup, if they have yeah. their legs and, and hit some shots, I, I think there's more to be had. Boston, you're really going to have to be on point and, and make a lot of jump shots to beat them. Agreed. Yeah. Um, uh, and I watched Cleveland uh, kind of get lit up by the Timberwolves tonight. Oh, the other thing I'm curious about this, Kevin, and I did not plan this, but have you gotten a chance to see any of Harden and the beat yet? No. Okay. I haven't. So you haven't seen I, Joel I tried. I had my computer game? Sunday. No, God, don't. <laughs> I, I did see that. I was trying to watch the second half, and for some reason, I can't stream ABC of all things from where I am in Atlanta. I think there's oh, probably some dispute between the local ABC channel and my cable channel. I remember that a couple of years ago that, that there was something that's probably still ongoing. So, yeah. Yeah. My but- streaming didn't work when I wanted to go see it. Well, yeah, they shot it like uh, they're on pace for 52 free throws. I think by halftime against Minnesota, the first game they played together. And that was uh, that was a game where I was like, okay, this is pretty hard to watch officiating. That second game um, where they played the Knicks, I I mean, Joel Embiid shot, I don't know, a million free throws. And, and every call is legitimate. He didn't, he didn't flop one time. Um, just kind of keep it short and wrap up here. Like, what I what has caught me by surprise is Harden obviously dictates attention, and that is creating seams. And Embiid, seven feet or whatever he is, two hundred eighty pounds, whatever. When he gets the ball and there's a seam, he gets straight into that seam like a freaking guard. And and you know, defenders try to kind of close down, and they can't get there in time. And he's too big; you can't kind of get in front of him and just you know he's. And so, I mean, I'm impressed with how well Harden and Beat are, are, are working with each other right now. I think people who know me well know that I, I'm not the biggest believer in Harden in terms of the, the longer timelines, the, the long game. You know, I think he, he yeah. kind of tend to wear his situations out or, you know, guys don't want to play with him, you know, for longer, you know, multiple seasons or whatever. I, I mean, this would be an, as a basketball viewer, as an NBA viewer, this would be fascinating basketball to watch them kind of try to make a run through the Eastern Conference, face the Bucks, and see how Bud and Giannis and all those guys kind of try to do uh, this is if they can keep this up and Harden can be this well behaved and share the ball, not over dribble the ball and really set and beat up. This is going to be fascinating. Real. I mean, some of the most fascinating basketball to watch in a while. And so 
Um, knock on wood, hopefully everybody stays healthy. Um, but like on Sunday, like just watching Tibbs, not the best roster in the world, but like what does Tibbs do to try to handle the? And that was fascinating to watch. I won't worry about it with kind of my takeaways there. But I mentioned like when they come up against the Bucks, what happens when they come up? Yeah, against, I was gonna say, you know, when they come up against Miami, what you know? So I mean, that's gonna it's gonna be fascinating to kind of see how this all shakes out when they run up against those the kind of Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, and I would even throw a healthy Toronto in there just to kind of see how they deal with it. So it's been it's been fun to fun to watch so far. We'll see uh the chemistry stays positive the whole way. Yeah, I mean I, I think there is uh I guess it's really all about the matchups. Like it feels like there are some teams that are, are going to be sort of well suited to deal with that. Like, like a Cleveland might be well, well suited to deal with that. Uh, you know, if the, if the bucks have Brooke Lopez and he's healthy, they might be well suited to deal with that. But then there are other matchups. Like, I, I don't know how Chicago is going to deal with that. Like that, right. that, that just seems like a nightmare matchup, like Philly against Chicago. I just feel like Philly should just grind them to a pulp, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the Hawks, you know, with, with this version of Clint Capella, they're, you know, a, a reasonable matchup. You know, that's where we're calling, you know, I, I, I think we mentioned a few weeks back, I was like, well, we, you think of John Collins, I think it's good to call him a luxury, but I think, you know, that's a kind of series where it's no longer a luxury. It's it's like a necessity to have, Absolutely. have someone like JC. And I, I think Boston, you know, could be a pretty good matchup for that. But I, I think there are some matchups like, Chicago, Brooklyn. Like, I don't know how they're going to deal with that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I can't even imagine Chicago dealing with that right now. I mean, they, they got Tristan Thompson, who's a pretty good tactical defender. But, I mean, he's so much smaller than Joel. Um, but but I mean, he's a, a stronger interior defender than Vooch is. I mean, so I, I'm just saying they've added something to, something to the right. mix there. Yeah, that might give them 15 minutes of, of time against them. Uh, Actually, I, I mean, think Miami might be the in, most interesting one of all. Like for sure, because like they're going to play Yurts of a ton. Yeah, they're going to need like Miami when they can get away with playing PJ Tucker and Bam together can do some scary things to the other team, but they're not going to be able to do that against Joel Embiid. I don't think. I, I agree with that. It's, it, I mean, in watching Spo deal with that is going to be fascinating. I, I hope we get a Miami Philly. Yeah. I Miami mean, I, Philly I, would be a fun series to watch. Awesome. I, awesome yeah. series. I mean, I hope the Hawks go far, but I hope just in the way it shakes out that that matchup happens at some point and we get that, uh, that would be juicy. Uh, for sure. Um, but then the other thing is that the way it's going and the way Joel is, you know, drawing so many fouls, like you're going to have to play three center. I mean, I mean, you have to, let's just say, you have to be prepared to you play have to three some, centers. Yeah. Some, some, some foul depth. Yeah. And so, and, and experienced guys, not like a guy on a, on a two way contract that's played 150 minutes in his career, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean, the Hawks having Gorgie, I mean, is yeah. not inconsequential. You know, nope. in the potential matchup, if, if if that's what they come up against, and Miami having Deadman and Yurtsevin, Yurtsevin is a really experienced international player. Um, but like poor Charlotte, if they get if they draw that, they I mean Philadelphia's going to score two hundred points a game on the Hornets <laughs> in that series. So I mean, you know, the, the center position has been kind of becoming. Um, Wait, didn't they get of, somebody at the deadline? They, they got a center at the deadline, Glenn. They got Montrez, but he's not a defensive guy. <laughs> I love me some Trez. But he's he's not going to help in that series. 
so you know, Plumley they'll they'll have to uh, kind of file an amendment to see if Plumley can get like twenty fouls a game to kind of keep him <laughs> uh, on the floor. Some some summer league rules or something to give them something to work with because uh, you know um, the young depth they have over there. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of the guy from North Carolina that uh, their third center, um, but. Yeah, that's not going to be viable. But no, I mean, you know, I wasn't really rooting for an outcome at the trade deadline just because I mean, no one can really kind of speculate what's actually going to happen. But after watching right. a few games, I'm like, you know, I'm anxious to see Ben Simmons play with Brooklyn when he's ready, when he feels like he's ready and all that sort of stuff. Just to see and if KD's back, that's going to be interesting to watch. But yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad this happened because this is some juicy basketball watching. And especially, like I said, when they come up against the teams like Miami, in Milwaukee, especially, um, yeah, I'm ready for that. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate your time tonight. My pleasure. Have a good one. And you. Uh, as a shooter, I tried to do everything in one motion. Yeah. So to be like, I don't know, like you eat a soup, and you can eat a soup and be on the phone, right? <laughs> you can eat a soup and it's automatic. Yeah. So what I was doing is like just shooting and not thinking, like yeah. not thinking about other stuff and be in one motion. When I see the ball coming to me, I'm already prepared and I know what I'm going to do. And I was working on it, you know, step by step, slowly. Uh, and I got to the point that I don't think and I'm just shooting when I ever say, see the light. Does anything, because it kind of relates, does anything change in terms of like how far you like bring the ball down? Because there was like one show, shot on TV, mm-hmm. like in the slow-mo, where it's like you caught it and it, like, it never even came down. It's just yeah. like you stayed up the whole time. It, that's like in, in game, you cannot like participate where, where the ball is going to come from. And, you know, it's not always the perfect pass. The, the ball could be stronger or softer or, I mean, the pass. Right. So... You have to practice for on that too. So I practice all these shots when I don't bring the ball down. Mm-hmm. So it's different type of shots, you know. When when you bring the ball down, when you bring the ball to the, your like shoulder level or head level, it's all three different different type of shots. So you have to work a little bit on, on it. And as many reps you get, it's more dramatic. Was there anyone that you kind of watched and you're like, I I want to emulate kind of like how they're shooting and, and how they're playing a little bit? So first was Kobe, so that's why I got my mm-hmm. like shot over the head at the beginning. But then I realized, you know, I'm not athletic as Kobe. <laughs> so he was, he was jumping high and he could do that, so no one could block him. So I had to bring it a little bit in front of my face. Uh, then you were, you know, you look at the players like Clay. Uh-huh. Uh, Clay's also a tall player, so he had he gives the ball to the side level. I didn't like that, but I like his footwork, let's say, mm-hmm. and I like the Curry one motion shot. Yeah, he he's shooting that like one motion. So you take you take a little bit body heel too. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't set his feet for the shot. He just rotates his shoulders and hips. He just jumps in the mm-hmm. air and he releases. So everything is one motion. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I feel like I have a strong arm, so I I have a good release. Um, and for me, it's just that one motion, you know. I need to work on. I needed to work on that and yeah. um, to kind of throw the ball in the air. That's so interesting. It's yeah. super, super cool. Yeah, um, you have to break down in the details yeah. to, to be better. Yeah, like that. that is super cool. I know. I was listening to that. I was like, I want to ask him a little bit more about it. Um, and then just one more like broad question about basketball. Twenty-three games left. Like, how do you 
narrow down from like big picture to just game by game? Like, how do you kind of narrow your scope? Because Nate was like, we can't focus on four games ahead right now. Yeah, we can, but we as the basketball players, we see it yeah. everywhere, you know, and now it's, it's tough to not see it. But, um, you know, as I said earlier, we, we have to go game by game, focus to get that like momentum going, the rhythm going, and uh, to don't feel like, to don't think even about what happened last year, what happened earlier, the bad and good stuff. So we have to, you know, these last 23 games, we've got to give it all and yeah. uh, try to win as many games as we can. Cool. That's good for me. Do you have anything else? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I know. I know. I'm like ready. That's so cool. It's like it's like fun to like.